Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatic, sitting here with Aaron Cameron at the Canadian Apartment Investment Conference as part of our forum series. Our guest today is Rob Jeremiah, president of Boardwalk Reach. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Appreciate it, guys. So, as always, tell us how you ended up the president of Boardwalk Reach. <laughs> well, it's funny because the founders of Boardwalk, Sam and Van Colius, I knew Sam way from way back in university days, and very similar histories. Our, our parents are both from Europe. Sam's dad is from Greece. My dad is from Italy. They both came to this country off the boat. Both realized real estate's the way to go. Both were bricklayers, actually, the same as well, too. We So, both of our families decided to get into multifamily. So, I basically was born into real estate. And from that point of view, got to know Sam. Sam was a few years ahead of me, started a very successful private company called Boardwalk. I joined in 1993, and I say I always say I've had three jobs in my life, and one was for my dad. So I, I basically haven't left there for 26 years. <laughs> and so when you started at Boardwalk, what kind of things were you doing? Well, I started. I just I just got my CPA at that point in time, so I started officially as controller of the private company. But it was much much more than that. At Boardwalk, we always had a way of everybody does whatever it takes. So not only was I the controller responsible for the books, I was also responsible for the warehouse. I was also responsible for going down there Saturday morning cutting carpet for the contractors. Whatever needed to be done that particular day, we all jumped in. And we like to think that even though we're a lot larger today, we're trying to get back to that culture that we had back in the early in the early 90s as well, too. Well, just for your growth curve, how big were you then and how big are you now? Oh, we were about that time, we had about 2,000 units, I'd say, maybe three. Uh, now we're 33,000. So we've extensive, late, mid to late 90s, we grew extensively, particularly in Western Canada. The world thought Western Canada was done and finished. So we, we, were, we were acquiring deals, incredibly low prices, just kept believing the market would come back and strengthen and so far we've been right. <laughs> so how, what other roles did you have throughout the company? Well, just kind again, of learning started, everything, I guess. Yeah, I learned everything. I you know, started off officially as controller, but again, ran warehouses and then uh, moved on to sort of the CFO public market side while continuing to have that responsibility. Were you the CFO for the conversion yes. of the REITs? Yes, I was Ooh. the CFO for the when we public in 93. Okay. CFO on the, when we listed on New York and the CFO as a conversion to the REIT oh. as well too. Do you want to talk through what that experience was like? Because that's, that's kind of a fascinating transition of a business, right? It, it is. And what was interesting about, we, we almost said, we joke about it. every 10 years, Boardwalk changes and does something. And so we went, we were private, then we rolled into a small JCP company, a small junior what capital. What was the motivation company. to do that? Because some, some still remain private. So why did you feel that that was the right decision Well, for you? at that point in time, you know, we knew we needed more liquidity. We knew we wanted to grow, we wanted to get bigger, and we just couldn't just do it. Oh, you know, we love debt. We just couldn't do it on debt all alone. We knew we had to tap the equity markets to do that. And it was very difficult because back when we went public in 93 and 94, real estate was a four-letter word. It was very, it took us like 18 months to get listed on, on Toronto. That's how difficult it was just because they didn't want to see us. They didn't want to see another blow up on real estate on the markets. It still had a dirty word in the market. So we, did, we didn't give up. What was the Western Canada real estate market at that time? It was very tough. It's funny because we, we actually grew when things were very, very difficult. There were many, many years. We may have been the only, within you know, maybe one of the three buyers in Alberta whatsoever. And we just loaded up. We just said, this is a great opportunity. We saw people wanting to leave the market. They were giving us incredibly good prices. They were giving us, uh, and on the pro formas, they were giving us 8-10% vacancy in perpetuity, which we knew we could deal with and, get, and create more and more value. And then, but you know, we, we were also very, very lucky. We saw cap rates go from 12 to 15 to 3. So I don't were care you, how were smart you buying, you are. Were you buying at a 12 to 15 back then? Oh yeah. Then? Wow. Oh, buying a lot. We yeah. were buying stuff at 10, 20, 30,000 a door back then. 
Wow. Now it's worth two, three hundred thousand. So was there a point in that eighteen months sort of IPO process where you thought, you know what, let's not do this? Screw oh, it. Oh, well, not so much. Let's not do this. It was more Toronto Stock Exchange love them to death, but they were trying to trying to say, we don't want you guys here. So we're going to push you off, push you off, push you off. So I mean, it's funny because we finally got listed, and then we went on there. We actually sat down with the listing agent. He said, you know, we tried to get not have you guys. But you guys wouldn't go away. <laughs> so we said, no, you're right. And and that's ironic because we came out the same time WestJet came out. So Boardwalk out of Calgary, WestJet out of Calgary. We you know we know Clive Meadows very very well. Great 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 company. They're going private. We're still public. That's all good good for us. But it was a very interesting story, and, and I'm I'm very proud to be part of a very good big strong team at Boardwalk. So given that you launched in uh, tough times and obviously survived and thrived, mm-hmm. the more recent uh, downturn in Alberta, was the strategy to get through that? Well, what's interesting about, you know, people ask us all the time, you know, what, what's the, what keeps you up at night? And to be honest, the, the most riskiest part of our business is new supply. When you overbuild in a particular market, when, and so what happened in Western Canada is we really didn't see decreased demand. We saw a significant increase of supply come to our market, all brand new, all funded with deep pockets. And, and historically, I've seen new supply come to the Western Canada market, but not to the amount we saw, say, back two or three years ago deriving. But I remember to get them to the market two or three years ago, that means they built it five, started building it five years ago. So when the market was very, very strong and everybody was putting into it. But uncharacteristic of, of what we saw in the past was many of these large owners and particularly the pension funds that were owning many of these assets historically would try to preserve their balance sheet would not decrease prices. They would keep the rents high and just say, well, we'll carry the vacancy longer than normal. It's not a big deal. This cycle, they all almost congruently dropped their rents dramatically. So we had a nice hybrid between the lower quality product and the brand new condominium rental product. We sat there nicely and we got we sat there probably for too long, to be honest. And we got, got off our laurels and said, oh no, we're, we're, we know what we're doing. But the reality was when these guys dropped their prices, you, you could get a brand new unit smaller than ours. Like the average size is significantly smaller than ours, but it was brand new. A nice amenity package. And that's the whole thing. Nice common areas. Massive. Felt, felt nice when you walked in the front door. Oh, that whole and, thing, and that's right? today. Like if you look yeah. at today's market, it's all about amenities, all about the common areas. The suite yeah. itself is not nearly as important as it used to be. And yeah, you're not building though. We are actually. Are we building. actually have been slowly but surely. Back in 2012, we built one okay. product in Calgary, expanded that a couple years later into Regina. We built those products projects on extra land we had in our buildings. We didn't have to go out and actually buy the land. More recently, uh, we just we almost completed a project in Calgary. We partnered up with RioCan. They had a great location by the University of Calgary, Brentwood Mall. Very unique location. Like, we're not a big fan of building new supply in an oversupplied market, but this is a very, very unique location close to the university, right by the LRT or, the, or above ground subway system in Calgary. But it also, we saw a niche in these markets. Many of the homes in that area are selling in the millions of dollars. And we, we found out this was- Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods, yes. Yeah. And what we found was many of these individuals, they don't want to leave the community, but they want to downsize. So they're looking for a higher end rental product in a, so we, there, there's other condominium rentals in that area, but we, but they're very, very small. Can you describe where that is in Calgary? Just Yeah, it's Northwest Calgary, just yeah. very close to the University of Calgary. Okay. And so what kind of rent for you are you, are you achieving? Are you, are you, are well, we're, you going to market? Well, we're about to uh, start pre-leasing here in the next few months. We'll probably be Q2 when the building is actually completely finished. You know, we believe that the market's improving dramatically. Right now in Alberta, it's about a buck thirty a square foot. Very, very cheap across the board. We do believe this high-end product will be north of $2 a square foot. Right. We... Again, bigger units, so obviously rents are going to be higher per square foot. The easy way to get a high square foot number is build small units, right? So we, but we are in this for the long run. So we build stuff that we know people want to live for a long. And if you're time. attracting downsizers, they they're going to need more space. They need they've more got space. A, they got a full basement of crap. Like they're, they're exactly. Need, they need, what do you exactly. larger locker sizes? What's the what uh, kind of what kind of things? Yes, did you some do? larger locker sizes, but but we're not getting in. The, it's it's all about the amenities, even for them. 
So we made sure we had the nice common area, the nice big balconies, the nice patios where you can have your barbecue with your friends, you know, high quality service. You know, it's all about the customer. For sure. In terms of recovery, we had Michael Smith from One Properties come on mm-hmm. to talk about the Ice District uh, project. Yes. And they, uh, their, his statement was that the performer they had right before the crash, that now they're finally leasing at those levels now. So he's saying that the rent levels have obviously suffered a dip, but have come back to where they were pre-crash. Are you finding the same thing in your own portfolio? Uh, very similar. I think he, he's, he's 100% right. That's a beautiful district up there, the Ice District. That's a Rogers Center. is just incredible. I think that we're not, in our portfolio, we're not quite there yet, but we have a different approach. Probably we could mark the market our rents immediately and be back to where we were, say, three, three and a half years ago. But our approach is much more customer friendly. So we're still achieving between 4 to 8% rental growth every year on renewals, which I think anybody would be happy with. But the reality was, you know, we were giving away up to three months free on a 12-month lease two years ago. So right. we realized you, you can't unwind. Through. The only market I've seen unwind from, say, three months free on a, to a zero was Grand Prairie, to be honest with you. And it overnight went from having to offer three months free on a 12-month lease to offering no months free. Why, why was that? It just, it was, it's an LNG natural gas area. And, okay. and it wasn't just us. It was the whole market just tightened almost immediately. So we, you know, we were well into the mid-double-digit NOI growth in that market quite quickly. So are you, are you in buy mode right now then? We're always in look mode. Okay. Uh, and so we, we are, we're buying, we've actually just started, a, we just partnered again with RioCan to do another building here in Ontario where we just broke ground with one in Ontario as well, two Southern Ontario, where we're very bullish on, how, on the other. How many projects do you have in, in Ontario? Because you're predominantly Western Canada. Well, we right? are, but we have about 2,500 units in London, Ontario too. So that oh, was, we, we okay. used to have a significant foothold in Windsor as well too. We sold that about five years ago. But no, we're, we're, you know, in hindsight's always 2020, we probably should have kept Windsor and expanded more to Ontario earlier. But to be honest, you know, when, when Ontario was starting to take off, Alberta was booming still. So right. it was difficult to make that decision. But, you know, there's so, only the, so much capital to go around. I and guess. that's the hard part, right? You know, there's two times you plant a tree. One is 20 years ago, one today. So <laughs> we'll just plant it today and keep moving forward. Well, the other good thing about real estate too is you don't need to be right 100% of the time to make money at real estate. Well, that's right. And I think we have to be right more often than not, I guess. <laughs> I, I think right? we have to be fair. Like we've all been lucky. We've seen cap rates go from 12 to three. I'm glad you said that because I know? feel like sometimes people forget that. Oh, we I, always talk about this as lenders. Is like you have these some borrowers that think they're the cat's <laughs> meow or whatever because look what they've done. They've built this great portfolio. No, no, you've just rents have tripled since you bought that property and cap rates have gone down by half. Like you haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and, and I think we've looked at a lot, a lot of the properties around and if you look at the NOI growth over the years and I've been around long enough, you know, there's been increasing NOI but no way even close to the cap rate compression numbers that we've seen. Yeah. So, so we all have to step back and shake ourselves a bit and say, hey, you know, yeah, from 12 to 3, if you're at 3 now, where's it going to go? If it goes to 1, it's still not the same as going from 12 to 3. No. <laughs> yeah, and if interest rates go up, if they ever go up, the true operators, the strong operators will be the ones that survive. Well, exactly. And an interesting discussion. I know we're not here to talk about interest rates, but man, when you look at Europe and their negative interest rates, that's and the, that's going to it's really interesting for our industry in that way there because you see all these large bond funds who have all this capital that need to if they put in a 30-year bond and getting 1 1 1.5%, if rates go up 50 basis points, it's worth nothing. So there's a lot more competition coming into our market to buy than we've ever seen before. You're finding foreign investment looking to uh, use for, as much foreign as I would probably say expansion of institutions. Like I know uh, we were in the U.S. a few years ago, met with a bond fund, and they were saying, yeah, they've they've redefined their definition of bonds to include real estate because the actual bond itself, they're scared. 
That bell in the background, if you can hear it, just means it's going to get quiet and we'll be able to focus a little bit better now. <laughs> yeah. And are you finding that demand for older product and newer product? And maybe talk about your strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you're diversifying, if you're looking at average age, because there's yeah. clearly differences now with the kind of rents you can get, the cost to, to manage and operate yeah. those older assets. And we're getting yeah. to that stage, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, all the boom of, with development. But those, yeah. those, those, those assets, now we're getting to you know, 2020, like they're 70 years old, 80 years old, and they're That's a little right. more wear and tear. So are you disposing of all the older stuff? Are you still think there's advantages of keeping them? There's a distinct advantage of the older assets because, you know, back in the 50s, you know, 60s, 70s, and even 80s, you know, we were building much more out than up. So, you know, average two-bedroom in our portfolio is 900, 850 square feet. So, it's big. It's a good oh, size. Yeah. Maybe there's more walls than normal you'd have, but we can adjust for that. But, yes, there, there's a lot of deferred assets out there. And I guess the challenge, particularly, say, in eastern Canada, and not just in eastern Canada, but particularly in Ontario and Quebec, is rent controls. It's because it makes it very difficult to do a major renovation to a unit. And, and you got shareholders you have to keep happy as well, too, to get, and I don't think you need 100% return, but it'd be nice to get more than 1% return. And that's tough on some of these investments you have to make. So the new stuff you're seeing here being built, driven, I think, heavily by the fact there is no rent controls on the new stuff being built. So right. you can price it. Don't get me wrong. Construction costs are out of control. Even guys we're partnering up with who are experienced builders in this market are going, we don't know. Yeah, things are just changing. Well, one of the things we're seeing is that you know, in markets that may not seem like they need the units, you know, for new builds, mm-hmm. are leasing up very rapidly because yeah. you know the vacancy in that market may be five or six, which would arguably be stable, be a yeah. nice, good, good, stable vacancy rate. But those new units are being absorbed very, very quickly because people just want to be in the new buildings. But yes. then you're seeing that vacancy being pushed down to the older units that are being vacated for those people moving into the new ones. Are you experiencing that in some of your older stock? And well, how do you combat that if you yeah, are in Western Canada? It's different again. In a rent control market, it's completely different. Uh, but I'll comment on sort of the Western Canada non-rent control market. You had to smarten up. We had to smarten up. We had to change. We had to renovate more. We had to make it look better. We had to build common amenities, better stuff that we had before in the past. Because you were getting smoked. We were getting smoked by the, the new guys who were pricing at the same points we were. Our advantage of that was gone. We knew we were good at what we were doing, but we had to change. We knew we had to change. So we spent a lot of money, uh, not just upgrading the suites, because what we learned throughout the process was it isn't just about the suite. It used to always be just more, more about the suite than anything. Now it's about the common areas, the amenities, the lobby, the hallways. The customer now wants, it's a home. And they want to be proud of their home. And they, they live in the building, not the unit. Yeah, the yeah, they live, really do live very, we, we very much. We hear more and more about community engagement. Yes, and, and, huge. And that's, you'd, huge. You'd rather keep your tenant in your building, right? Let them go to coffee shops, restaurants yeah. in your building and having a whole sort of suite amenities suite that just allows them to live, eat, play, learn all right there. Yeah, exactly. You know, give them a great location with, with one of the big things we find in our portfolio across the country right now is one of the top two things people are looking for is security. It's tough out there. It's, it's, there's a lot of crime going on and our customer, we, we survey our customers regularly and the, the number one when we asked them, you know, why did you rent with Boardwalk? Was the location was always the biggest one. The quality of service is there. But the fact that we offer a very high level of security was massive. And I was surprised. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I understand security is important, but I was extremely surprised how high it was in the rankings. That's interesting. What does that mean? Is more more fob access doors, you know, security all, guard means, visible at all times on It means on all site. of the above. And I think, you know, we started off thinking, oh, no, we'll just put up more cameras and it'll all be good. But got to the point where these guys didn't care about a camera. So you had to have a physical person there taking care of it. So we, we've substantially increased our, our number of security agents that we do have on staff. When we do that, we're tracking all the data. We know when's the bad times. When do we need to have someone there? You know, guys, you, you can't have a... 20 minute rotation because they figure that out really quickly too. So you have to do all the above. It's really, you know, putting yourself in the customer's shoes and saying, you know, how would they want to live and how do you want, want? And then the good thing about 
the non-rent control Alberta is keeping your customers way more valuable because they, it's a mark-to-market every 12 months. So it's a lot lower cost to have them stay and go mark-to-market than it is to have to turn the unit over and get mark-to-market. Mm-hmm. Has uh, rent control deterred you from entering other markets? No, no. We actually have our second biggest portfolio in, in Quebec. Okay. So don't get me wrong. There are good opportunities for rent controls as well, too. I think they do. For, it's funny because I was on the way here today. I was talking uh, yesterday with, with the uh, car driver. He says, you know, oh, we don't have enough affordable housing in Ontario. I said, that's interesting. I go, but I think you have too much affordable housing. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, you got rent controls in place. The problem is, yeah, you have a lot of, the mark to market on your rents are quite substantial. But the interesting part about it is you have the wrong people in those units because there's no income tax to be in rent control. So maybe we should look at rent controls with a mark to market on income as well too because there's a number of people out there who need affordable housing, but it's being taken up by people that really don't need it. Who just pocket the extra 300 bucks a month difference in the rent and uh, you know, call it a day. Or 800 bucks yeah. or 1,000 bucks yeah. is the case well, maybe in some Well, it's getting bigger. You know, it's, it's, uh, if we can uh, switch tracks for a second. Yeah. I know as a publicly traded REIT, mm-hmm. how much time do you spend thinking about your unit price and dividends you know, on a quarter-to-quarter basis? Does that consume a lot of your thoughts or do you think about uh, longer-term goals? Well, you know, to, to, we do the, all the above. I, I think we have responsibility to all our key stakeholders, our customers, obviously, our, our resident members, our employees, our shareholders. But we do believe that if you focus on the company, focus on the people, focus on the customer, the results will come by themselves. And you can't ignore that, but you, you just got to focus on that. So we are conscious of our unit price. We actually did I, what I think was a very smart thing a couple of years. We had to cut our distribution, even though we didn't have to. And the answer there was the cheapest cost of capital is your own cash flow. And many of, of us who came in this model years ago came in a model of over-distributing and, and not that. Versus the U.S. model of REIT, which is low, low distributions, keep the cash flow inside and grow. So we said, no, we believe the U.S. model is the way to go. So we, our strategy effectively is we'll only distribute what we have to distribute. Are you seeing a reciprocal growth in your unit price then because of that decision? Well, the interesting part of us, when we cut it, it didn't go down. Mm. Right, so that was that was almost a, it was built-in growth. Normally, if you cut your distribution, the company's the, the yeah, price, of and because normally the it'll the market says, well, they're cutting because they have to, not because they want to. Well, the reality was we cut because we wanted to, and the market really liked the strategy of respect to keeping the cash flow in house and using that. So our goal is to be able to be self-funding. So let's be able to pay our distribution now, but also keep all the cash flow inside, particularly on our new development side. And it, we don't have a huge development pipeline, but we have you know, two or three buildings going on at one time. But that, you know, that's the risky part, right? Development's always the risky part. So you should fund that with equity or even better, fund it with free cash flow. So that's the focus of the development side. Let's work on these projects. Let's get them finished, get them rented up. Use First National, borrow some money off them, and then uh, re-lever and put the place that money. That's been, our, that's been our business for the last 30 years is buy undervalued real estate, make it better, increase the NOI, get a great partner like First National, partner up with them, lever out of it, and go on. So is your second cheapest source of capital... CMHC insured financing. Oh, and it is by far the cheapest. <laughs> and, and well, I guess free cash flow obviously is the cheapest, but it, you know, when you're seeing the flat curve we have right now, 10-year money, low twos, you're going, wow. Yeah, and some 15 and 20-year money that's out there now. Yeah, well, now right? we've not gone that far out. And, um, is there a reason why? Like, what's, Is it just First National's now offering these 15 to 20-year CMHC insured mm-hmm. uh, loans and, and we're, the, the conversations with borrowers are interesting because sometimes it's just they haven't thought about it enough, right? Well, wait yeah. a minute, does that make sense? And it's just getting people to kind of, you know, when you're lying in bed at three in the morning thinking about work, think about the 15-year, right? And, yeah. Because it's never yeah. been an option before. Well, it hasn't been. It has been in the U.S., but not, not in Canada. But I think when CMHC changed the rules about five, I think maybe seven, eight years ago where they used the Parapasu product. Mm-hmm. That made it more advantageous to look longer term because you can always put it, because the risk's always been, if I put 15 years on it, I mark the market every month or every 12 months, 
I'm stuck because I could, I could have so much equity tied up in this building and only way to tap into is through a second mortgage, which is more expensive. Mm-hmm. But with the Parent Pursuit product that CMHC has done, and I, 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 you know, I give them a ton of credit. Like, these guys are smart, smart people, CMHC. They figured this thing out. And, you know, I don't think there's a product like CMHC insured product in, in the world. Like, it's not like Freddie and Fanny. And Mexico was looking at doing something like this as well, too. It didn't go as far, but so impressed with them. And just, just for clarity's sake, the Perry Pass Sioux facility they're referring to is the ability to top up your mortgage at the same cheap interest right. rates and not be locked into a declining balance over It's, you know, effect- it's effectively years. a top up, really. Right. Well, it, it is. is. It, it is. is. And, yeah. and I think if you, look at, if you look at all the real estate classes and you say, oh, well, yeah, even if you do a five-year term on a, CMA, on a multifamily product, that's still five times mark to market on your leases on a 12-month lease. Mm. So it's, that's like a 20-year lease doing a 100-year term kind of idea, right? So, so there hasn't been the motivation, but now with the curve being as flat as it is, I don't know if that's just telling us that rates are going to be down here forever. Maybe, yeah, who knows? So. <laughs> seems to be more and more the, what people are thinking these days. Which means cap rates will be down here forever too. Well, yeah, yeah like where and maybe even go lower. Again, we talked about it already, about the negative returns and negative bond yields in Europe. And one of our board members is, is a global investor and and he says yeah he says that's wow yeah the negative mortgage rates in Denmark I mean yeah. what impact does that have on real estate <laughs> you can well, get paid yeah. to buy something what about and we've talked kind of about the older asset classes and mm-hmm. your new builds what about purchasing new builds I mean some of your competitors yes. are buying sort of vacant yeah we have property. to yep. and you've been doing that too yeah, we just is, that a, one, is that a market you're more interested in because it at least to some of our some of your competitors that we're seeing that that's an attractive way to kind of get new product, yeah. get a premium in the rents, but not have to go through the brain damage or the the risk of the executing on the development. Yeah, you you know you you trade off lease risk for the construction risk, and and we did actually we did that in Edmonton. We bought a empty building, a brand new empty building, and we've leased up within. I think we opened it up mid July, and we've already leased sixty percent. Right? So if you, we know what we're doing in that area, so we're not as worried. And but the difference, quick and simple difference is if, if it's finished and there's no risk, it's a bigger price. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're paying a lower pay for. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know our, our objective is to partner up with the right people. And but I think one thing we bring to the table, like if you look at our construction history now, the newest ones, we've partnered up with very good teams. Real Can's got some great locations. Who are those guys? Never heard of them. Never heard of Real no. Can either. Yeah. No. Just Eddie Sunshine. That team is a very strong team. I love them a lot you know but they're they have some great great locations and they know what they're good at and we know what we're good at so you put these two companies together that, that do individually good things and recognize that that there's a good partnership you know we're extremely happy with our relationship with real can almost in the first building going into our second one redwood which is another partnership we here have here in ontario as well two very smart people know what they're doing we'll bring to the table the ability to operate the assets and that's the interesting part about this now is is you know where did all this rental product come from well there's been a material slowdown in condo construction and affordability is an issue, and we we joke about it a lot. We you know we talk about a buck thirty a square foot in Alberta, and three to four or five bucks here in Toronto. But you got to put it in perspective. If it co- a friend of mine, her daughter lives in in Vancouver, and she's spending a thousand bucks a month for a one bedroom room. Mm. So that's 20 square feet, 20 square feet, 100 square feet, right? Nuts. So yeah, put it in nuts. perspective. If if everything around that neighborhood is going to cost you five million to own, five bucks a foot to rent is cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're really seeing true. that in Yorkville, right? In yeah. Toronto now, yeah. those numbers come out. You don't want to be a unit that size forever, but at a certain point in your life, it can't make sense to live like that cheaply well, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, until you get your next leg up in whatever corporate chain you're, you're chasing around. Well, yeah, but, but so much now is about location. You know, Toronto, you look at that, everybody wants to be close to work and it's downtown. And, and so you can just, you can you decide what you're going to do. You can go for a two-hour commute and pay a little less, or you can live right downtown and live small. So would you avoid suburban apartments in your purchasing no. strategy? Well, we, we look for great locations. We're looking particularly for subway locations, mm. with no different than you would in New York or any other major city. You know, taking the subway or... or any kind of public transit. Well, yeah, it's huge. Go trains in, in the GTA are a big 
Exactly. You know, those, those hubs, you can see the demand in those neighborhoods around a go train. Massive, stop. massive, right? Because it just, I, I take the uh, train to the airport. I don't take cab anymore. It's, it's 20 minutes of my time and I'm sitting there, I'm on the internet, I can do whatever I want, I can read, I can work. And I, I know what's going to be there every 20 minutes and I'm going to get to the airport every 20 minutes. Like, so yeah, the, it, the stop, for those that know Toronto, you've got that Union Pierce yeah. Express and it stops yeah. at Dundas West and Weston. Weston, right. you know, historically being a not so nice neighborhood, but is now slowly now changing very because it's, you can get on that stop and be downtown in 15 minutes. Exactly. Like almost nowhere else in the country, in the city <laughs> that you can live and, and be downtown that quickly, that consistently. Exactly. If we took it a step further yep. beyond suburban mm-hmm. uh, apartments, how small would you go? What's the smallest market that you're looking in right now? Well, you know, we want to maintain in major centers. We love Toronto, but we just can't see anything so far that's priced into our market. So we've sort of grow the, grown it a bit as well, too. Historically, I'd probably say we're looking you know, north of a million people in the market. I, I think the GTA, you have to expand that whole market to define that because of the GO train, because of all the other stuff that's going on in those markets. You know, we've looked in farther east and Halifax, just difficult for us to justify that. But we think the opportunity still is, uh, right, the big, I think it's the biggest opportunity of recovery is still in Alberta. And then, but I do think Ontario and, and Quebec are going to be strong as well too. So then which, if you're bullish on Alberta, which sub-market are you most excited about in Alberta right now? Well, interestingly, Calgary's recovering faster than Edmonton is. So if, from an investment point of view, you'd probably say, well, if you want to be lower on the recovery curve, so you look at Edmonton more. But it really, it's really building by building, asset by asset location. We have many of our properties in Edmonton that are so well located, there was never any vacancy. It was always Edmonton, good. Edmonton's curious because it really is location. I mean, yeah. it is everywhere. But yeah. in Edmonton, there are some hubs yes. that can just be fantastic. That's right. What about the downtown cores in Calgary and Edmonton? I mean, are you looking at those neighborhoods? Or are you kind of sticking oh, to yeah. the periphery? Well, we've actually, in, in our downtown core, we have a lot of buildings already. So we've actually done a rebranding on many of our buildings and made them into high end. We took three of our buildings in that area and, and turned them into what we refer to as a lifestyle brand. So it's affordable luxury. Larger units, all the amenities. So we're competing head on with a brand new rental product in that market because we had to. But we also bought some new in the suburban areas as well, too, brand new, because you see, and those tend to be larger units. But the answer is we look for deal by deal, location by location. I don't want, I don't want to just generically look. It was funny, I was watching CNBC this morning and Sam Zell was on there and they asked me, you know, what market would you buy? And he goes, we don't buy markets, we buy buildings. And he's right. Because like, you go to Dallas or, or anywhere, there are so many small microclimates there. You can't just say Dallas is good or bad. You have to look at it in these microclimates and say, where does it sit? Before we let you go here, mm-hmm. obviously we talked about you being in buy mode, right. but obviously you are going to dispose of some assets. Yes. So, so what's driving those decisions? Well, you know, a big decision driver there is cost of capital. Like what we're finding is with our current price of our stock, we're such a deep discount to our net asset value that I can't, or I won't issue equity at these prices to buy. So I have to go down my chain of cost of capital. So yeah, I love debt. It's great, but I'm not going to put too much on the balance sheet either. Cash flow is great. We love that. We're using that as well too. But so the other side is there's a very big disconnect today between Bay Street and Wall Street or Bay Street Main Street, I guess I got to call it, I'll say it. Whereas we're selling assets well above fair values in the market. There's so much demand, but the public market doesn't do it. So we, we're selecting, we've done this in the last couple of years, a couple of assets every year so far to sell, to redeploy that capital back into other opportunities. So that is the, probably the second cheapest cost of capital. So we'll keep going with that, again, for the right offer, but we won't just sell to sell. We won't sell to put in the bank and sit and wait. We'll only sell when we have an opportunity to redeploy the capital. So we've sold above, for example, we sold about 600 units in Saskatchewan last year, we deployed all that to buying new product in Edmonton. So we, we not only we did we sell the non-core asset, we actually bought a better brand. Kind and you, of you kind of had it lined up. You yes. knew where that money was that, going. Was You're going, not just yeah. selling and then hoping no. to find something. Well, you can't because if you sell an asset, put it in the bank, your funds from operations drops dramatically and quickly. So you, you need to have a place to put that capital. 
which, which backs your comment about Edmonton being further down the recovery scale and uh, getting, exactly. getting in now. Yeah, and, you, and we're finding that on the sell side, many of these non-rental builders who are condo converters become renters, they, they thought it would be easy to manage rental. And they, they realized quite quickly, well, this is, not, this is a whole different business. Rob, this has been amazing. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah but well, thank wonderful you conversation. On. Thanks yeah, very much. I really much. appreciate everything, guys. Nice yep. to see you. Thanks again. We want to thank First National for powering the podcast. We want to thank Informa for having us here to the Canadian Apartment Investment Conference. And once again, thanks again, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.